Welcome to Outside the Glass. I'm your host, James Zug. Last November at the Men's World Championships, in between matches, I sat down with Joey Barrington to talk about his father, Jonah Barrington, the six-time British World Champion. We had a wonderful conversation that uh, jumped around a little bit and produced some um, sort of rather vivid images of Joey's father and their relationship. There was the garage was converted into uh, gym, and I used to uh, spend a lot of time just watching Dad doing his his uh, off court training um, in the gym. I mean, it was so experimental with so many different types of things. He had the the big medicine balls that weighed probably over over 10 kgs, and uh, like the proper boxers, like the boxer medicine balls. Uh, used to have these weighted uh, kind of it was really old school the weighted kind of shoes that you'd strap to your own trainers and like and he would do kind of leg lifts and and obviously all the dumbbells and the machines and a makeshift kind of rowing machine that was kind of put together um but i was fascinated to see him kind of thrashing around and and doing this for hours on end and then seeing the sweat develop very quickly because obviously the fitter you are the quicker you sweat you see what it's like with the guys out there and um and i'd just be fascinated it for me it was like better than watching TV really um, and I was only four or five years old so it's a little bit some, like some medi- of my first memories medieval torture instruments you know because yeah. these aren't looking like proper thing I mean, he was building these things himself yeah he was he was he was kind of I mean I, I remember we talked to I don't think you you knew before but I mean that he invented obviously ghosting yeah shadow movements right so he was is a very bright man and he was experimenting. He was the first squash player to train properly, not just play squash, he was always looking to push. And I think in a lot of sports back then, there was all these different methods that were coming in for, for kind of non-specific uh, training. Um, and Yeah, cross training. And, and so he was very gym-based um, mm. for quite a period. So yeah, they were, they were fascinating, um, fascinating objects to me. These, uh, but I would sit there for hours on end watching him. I remember the, the 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 matting was this kind of black and red, quite funky kind of matting in there, the gym matting. But um, hmm. yeah, it was pretty cool to have him doing the training at the house because and then he disappeared to the courts for a long period of time, which were yeah. about a ten minute drive from the house originally. And then for his seventieth birthday present, I bought him a Concept Two row machine. A proper rowing machine. Yeah, Concept Two rowing yeah. machine, which yeah. is uh, which is in my old bedroom. Which he is he using it? Oh, every day. Really? Yeah, he uses it every day. He's got the view where, where they my parents live in Somerset now, which is just next door, right next door to Glastonbury Tor, which is a, a beautiful. Uh, uh, it's sort of kind of on a par with Stonehenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's there, and he's got the, you know out the big window, and he's in the row machine. He's got the beautiful view of the English countryside, and he has classical FM going with probably Wagner or Beethoven, and he's just rows the rows the seas. Does he row like a certain amount every day? Does he? Does he does he... different stuff. So I mean, yeah. he can do sessions up to 15 minutes. He'll do intervals that are brutal that right. can last only half an hour. But so he's still fit. None are really fit, yeah. And then he still does uh, weights, and and the way it's funny how things come back round because uh, I I live kind of next door to my my parents. We've got uh, land shared between us, 
and then there's this double garage that's kind of fallen into disrepair and I'm going to be converting that into a gym next year when the weather gets better so that he can use it, I can use it, my family can use it. Um, so it's quite, it's quite funny just thinking back to the original yeah. gym and now, and now we're going to do this gym next year. So you, you told me about ghosting and, and how you were on the beach in, uh, oh, in wow, Spain. Yeah. Tell me that story. No, it was in South Africa. South Africa. We'd gone, we'd gone on a, uh, an amazing trip, you know. Um, he would do, we'd go on family holidays, but there would be a squash element to it. So he would be doing some exhibitions or right. clinics, of course. It would make sense. Yeah. So we were pretty lucky to kind of tag along with him um, as a family. And uh, it was uh, it was St. Francis Bay. Oh, right. And we were there for the Christmas period, and he marked out the court on the beach, and he was in his, you know, his kind of speedo-esque, uh, <laughs> speedo-esque um, swimwear. Uh, very brown, very muscled, of course, even back then, and still is now. But and then he would, you know, start playing, you know, match against himself, ghosting, and doing these things, and people started coming and there was a couple of hundred people by the end of it just watching him just thinking you know what, who's, what, this, crazy who's man? this crazy man like trying to swap flies on the beach with a squash racket but they were it's fascinating you know it's and he was wasn't doing it to show off he just wanted to get on and do his thing i mean he was so used to people watching because of all the all the squash through the career that he just mm. he wasn't you know shy by it and yeah. he wanted to do his session and he and he would do it in the garden and it was quite a funny um story with uh, Paul Johnson um, who came down to do some training with my dad when he was uh, a player <clears throat> I was just starting to be a professional and PJ was finishing mm. but he came down to train and we all did this circuit uh, in the in the garden as we used to do in the summer so he'd mark the court out on, on the lawn in the back of the garden uh, but there was a dress code and it was always underpants you know obviously your squash shoes you'd wear with your socks but underpants and so it was myself, Paul Johnson, and, and my dad running around the garden doing circuits in our underpants. <laughs> and then after that, you know, my mum's serving us tea and cake afterwards. But uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was PJ um, sometimes recollects it on Squash TV and it still makes me laugh <laughs> because, you know, dad turns up and he's right, right, come on, let's get on and get on with this circuit. And PJ's kind of looking him up and down thinking, well, you know, I can understand him having his top off, but sure. surely just in the underpants. What, why, why no shorts? What was because the... he was always, he's a massive son. Uh, he loves, loves the sun. Mm -hmm. he's, he's one of his mentors in Australia, a guy called Orbeimos. One of the first things he instilled in him was a co cosmetic fitness, as it was called, cosmetic fitness. So to always have a good, healthy tan which, you know, a lot of the Australians, Jeff Hunt mm. and uh, Kenny Hisco back then always had over, obviously, English because yeah. of the weather. weather systems. So it was a cosmetic fitness. So bef before big events, Dad would probably go and do warm weather training and, and get very tanned and mm. turn up and look quite intimidating, to say the least, you know. And and so that was, he was always wanting, you know, to get sun and maximise yeah. on the sun and the heat on his body. So it was... Huh. Yeah, he's, was, uh, he went to uh, Kenya once, and or maybe more often, and trained in the high altitude. Yeah, he went there. up to uh, Kilimanjaro yeah. and did a huge amount, particularly in the later years before British Opens. And it was clever, really, because you know altitude training is a is a brutal type of training anyway, and that would spread around the, the world. So he would get to a British Open and it would have already a massive mental advantage. Yeah, because. It, you they know, had they heard he had done he'd that. gone there to do that, so they realised he was coming into this event even fitter than ever. I was very Did nervous. Did you go with him on those trips or no? Uh, once, yeah. once, yeah, once. He, 
once. I mean, I was, hmm. it was towards obviously, like I was born in, in uh, 79, so his career, he was still playing very well through the early 80s, but you know, when he was in contention for British Opens, it was still probably mid 70s, yeah. he could still possibly have contended. It's, it is interesting seeing the other pros. I saw Jeff Hunt um, in the gym this morning here which was quite quite interesting and you know, had a little chat with him and then mm. just was doing my session then watched the, the end of his and he was on the treadmill running at a hell of a rate doing intervals at 69 years of age, obviously two hip replacements, two hip relinings, but really, pushing really it. pushing it on an incline, running on the treadmill and I, it just, I just chuckled to myself because my dad would have, if he'd have been here, he'd have been on the, on the rowing machine because he can't run these days yeah. doing as savage intervals, you know, they just, there's something in, in, in the mentality still, yeah. of somebody who's achieved excellence at that level, sustained excellence, that they 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 need they need to push themselves. Yeah. Some people they yeah. need to just physically and, do that. Physically. Yeah. Yeah, physically and mentally, no, he calls it therapy. You right. know, I mean, you're really you're releasing all those Endorphin, endorphins and the dopamine yeah. systems for right. those years. It's hard to not do that. Yeah, they, they have uh, to. Even, you know. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I can relate to that. You know, you get grouchy. I'm sure you do as well. You know, you get grouchy after a few days if you're if not, you haven't done particularly something. if you're writing and yeah, sat sat there for yeah. ages. You want to get out and, and sweat and get that feeling. That's right. I always found it very useful when I was studying myself. Anyway, when I used to do you know running and stuff. I used to mm. clear my head to study. Yeah, I've always loved his takes on on you know the everyday things of training you know like calling it therapy and mm. I remember once when I when I was younger and I was having a tantrum <clears throat> and I threw my racket and then he said you know a warrior never discards his weapon you know and this as a kid you know somebody saying this and I was always always loved history and you know all the fantastic uh, you know famous uh, warriors and generals over the years you know I mean as a kid yeah. you're passionate you know and I thought wow yeah I can I get that you know, it wasn't a bollocking of you know don't do this, right. this don't the way, yeah, but yeah. the way he put it. And then I, as a kid, you're so impressionable and you've got such a wonderful imagination. I started to think, yeah, this is and and it is a warrior sport, isn't it? At the end of the day, so you know that is your that is your weapon. So he always had this amazing and still does ability to convey these things and creates a bit of escapism within within an environment. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I did a few commentaries with him when I was starting out yeah. and we did a father and son combo. Unfortunately, logistically it didn't, it wouldn't be able to work because of his commitments at home, yeah. but it was amazing. It was so, so enjoyable and uh, for me to be the lead and refer to yeah. him as Jonah and, and <laughs> tee up things and go backwards and Well, it's sort of cherish. your, uh, you know, squash. I mean, he, you know, he was the better player. Yeah, of course. But in commentary, yeah. that's your bailiwick. Yeah, it is. That's my, right? that's my area. And he yeah. was sort of, I mean, he's done it. He's done yeah, it over the decades. Yeah. But, but, I mean, you're you're a professional yeah. and you're doing it a lot. And yeah. he's not. No, no, so absolutely. So sort of your, I mean, your thing. And yeah, he was coming no. into your house. Yeah, it was. And it was, again, the terminology, you know, the, I mean, all squash players use it, the, of, of squeezing your opponent against the sidewalls and and the predators and mm. you know the, the primitive being and all this stuff. I mean, this all comes from him. Mm. This was all his terminology as he was creating the professional game. Yeah. Um, you know, and raising you. And raising me. So, and even now, I mean, obviously he's coaching Mohammed Al Shabagi. Yeah. And speaks to him 
probably more than, 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 than he ever ever did when he was actually on, on court with him because yeah. you know he's having to learn to hold a position which I mean this is something you try and think about if you've not been able to achieve that and you know to get there is unbelievable to hold it is even more, more impressive and uh, if you've right. got somebody in your corner that has done that yeah that's right such an advantage yeah because it does take an exceptional mentality in a right. way of thinking you know the fact that he went through it that he was number one that he did win titles it helps it helps him as a, as a coach to yeah. w with somebody who is at world number one yeah or, or trying to get you know as close in a way that you know he just knows exactly what you go through yeah. and unlike a lot of other players I think he really thought about it no, that's what I was going right. to say because you can get you know, in any sports people that are just, for instance, for instance, or... if you you probably you know a, a Rami Shaw scenario, mm. if he were to go into that side of things, it would he's, he is such a genius and such a maverick that right. it would be very hard for him to, to emulate it or to, or to convey, explain it, to try you know. So it's like how do you, and it's so automatic and yeah. so yeah. you know so natural, right. Whereas, you know, that was a very cerebral squash Oh, player. I mean, who else has written books who's, who's been a great player who's written the books yep. and written not one, not yeah. two, I mean, you know, a lot. A lot, yeah. Including, you know, one of the great classics of the game. Yep. I mean, it, you know, no other... Tell me a sport where that's happened. No, I know. It hasn't. I mean, they have I mean, ghostwriters do it for everybody else. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, any sport. Yeah. I mean, he's it's, it's extraordinary that, 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 you know, as an author... You know, and my grandfather was a, an amateur historian, but mm. you know he read more than most historians probably ever read in their lifetime. Were you close with your with your grandfather? Never met him. I mean, he died. Before I never he... met my, my my dad's parents, and I'd love to have met, yeah. particularly my my dad's father, because he was an unbelievable character. Mm. And sadly, he never got to see dad start to take uh, squash seriously. really yeah really seriously and make something of himself yeah. he didn't see that he passed away he you can see the different elements when my dad talks about his his father you mm. can see those i mean there's a lot of in, in eccentricities in 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 that side of the family in the barrington side of the family so you told me a, a story uh, at some point when we've talked about when you decided to turn pro and and to, to take squash seriously because you 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 hadn't been one of these people who grew up with a father who who did something and so that you naturally did at, at a very serious level. Like you, yeah. you, you, you weren't, you know, destined to become a squash player at age 16 or 17. That no. wasn't automatic. No. So you told me a great moment where you were in, at university where you... Yep. I mean, I was drinking myself to oblivion at university as most youngsters do in the first year and I wasn't really doing much in terms of studying or anything else, just socialising, but I I remember going down to the to the local to Edgebaston Priory was at Birmingham University, which is a very prestigious squash club with a lot of history. And they were playing a national league match there which is now called PSL in England. And I saw uh, Dale Harris playing. And I just thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Um, I, I really, really kind of something kind of clicked. I remember ringing home and saying, Dad, I think I might, uh, I might want to have a go at being a professional squash player. And I'd never said that ever. And he, and he didn't, you know, he barely, 
that he responded because I mean he just probably thought it was a ludicrous comment and heaven knows if I was maybe a bit drunk or something which obviously changed my habits um, and I started to, to get into the game but I was playing number four in a regional league and I was playing three or four in my university team when I kind of started. When you said that? Yeah, yeah. when I started uh, and I would have been then 19, 19 years of age. I played, a, I played uh, quite a bit when I was between the ages of kind of nine and 11. Hmm. And then I gave up for a long time, I played cricket. And this was completely unconscious. Uh, the kind of road with my father, he was at university and, and, and was socializing and drinking crazy, got thrown out of Dr yeah, Dublin on, University. Yeah, trendy, right? Incidentally, they gave him an honorary doctorate of law a couple of years ago, and I went over with him for that, which was, which was a fantastic trip for, for both of us. I mean, it was just wonderful. He, he was in a, a real kind of tangle just from his own, you know, his own yep. way of life. And, and then he decided, he heard some people talking, um, uh, parents of a friend of his saying how useless he was and what a waste of space. And there was a trigger for him in that respect. But yeah, it was, it was, it was nice and it was hard work, very hard work for me, but I just channeled that and I realized I had that kind of obsessive side which you need. What happened to the cricket? Um, the cricket, the last cricket match I played, I was playing an England trial. Um, I played England schoolboys and mm. I had a, a contract, uh, an apprenticeship with Somerset County Cricket Club to be professional at 16 and I injured my back. I never played again. Uh, the only other match I ever played was a, a village match when I came back from yeah. university for a bit of fun and that was it. It just completely and utterly disappeared. It was unbelievable, and that had been such a part of my life. I used to watch it for hours on end on TV and reading wisdom. Yeah, yeah, I just completely and utterly, you know, kind of forgot about it really. And then when did into, you injure your back playing cricket or? or you... Yeah, yeah, it was it was a, it was I was a fast bowler as yeah. well as a, a batsman, but I used to I bowled a lot in volume as a kid. I bowled too much, and I had a you know an injury, a sciatic injury, and. Uh, that's when, from that age, and then I went back to do my A-levels and I really got into my studies for the first time. Loved my A-levels because I got to choose subjects I wanted to do right. rather than the broad Talk. spectrum of stuff. So I, I, I found that really, really fascinating and, and then obviously got to university. It was a, it was a really chain of, chain of events. Yeah. Well, it was, the pathway changed so much. Because you could have been a cricketer. Yeah, the pathway changed. And then, you know, at one point I never thought I'd ever go to university. Went to university, eventually made the most of university. But then if I hadn't gone to university, I wouldn't have been a professional squash player. Hmm. Did you ever talk to Dell? Did you ever say, hey, Dell, you know, I 10 years when ago? I, when I was, um, when obviously when I started and he was still playing, yeah, I used to mention it to him. Uh, but I mean, it's just his style, his presence. I just thought this yeah. is really, he had a great, great presence on the court. Yeah, yeah I mentioned to him a few times. I, I talked about it once or twice with PJ on Squash TV, but, uh -huh. and then my father really supported, uh, he, he started off, he backed off me big time mm. to really see if I was serious. The, the real deal and serious and not t wasting time. And then when he, it coincided with him, he just had his hip relinings, his hip, what first hip relining, should I say, and he started wanting to play the Masters. So we started training a bit together, which was pretty cool. Um, wow. So, yeah, we were doing two sessions a day together, and he was training for the over, over 60s. Could you beat him right away, or was there a moment? No, no. I mean, it was hard. When I started, you know, training more, 
um, and more. We didn't go on court in that way. Right. And then when I, you know, was getting more useful, and we would play these amazing lengths. So it would be conditioned games that I would do with him, but the length yeah. games were. I mean, it's nice talking about this because I'm remembering stuff again now with him, uh, and it was that was pretty awesome. He could keep up with you. Oh God, age. yeah, 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 yeah. He he really could. It, That's it, amazing. I loved it. I mean, there's I this moment it. for a lot of sons when they can beat their father. Yeah, it was never in like that, that sport. You know, it, they they find they yeah, they remember it. You yeah, know? it but, was it. I didn't have that with him. I. It wasn't, that wasn't an issue mm. to me. I um, had witnessed him in a lot of pain as a kid, mm. um, as a teenager, when he had the arthritis through the 90s before yes. he started having the hip. I'd seen him in so, so much discomfort. Mm. Seeing somebody, like I say, in the gym when I was a very young boy, like a Tarzan figure, to then be kind of slightly bent over and in agony. So for me, there wasn't this about beating my father it wasn't um, it was it was highly competitive when we did the length games and everything else but I'd never had that yeah side to me in that way it wasn't such a such a big deal it was just nice to be on court with him and try and get some help he'd been helping so many other kids other people's children spent so much time with other people's children uh, as we grew up with all his commitments and mm everyone wanting a piece of him, that mm. it was nice to try and get some time with him. Yeah, as a bit older, calm and, you know, I mean, as a teenage period, you, when you go through things, and yeah. I'd finished university, I was kind of a young man, and it was um, it was quality time, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Him. Have you ever played in a doubles tournament with him? No, no, I played him, I played him uh, at Canary Wharf about four years ago. We were- An was, exhibition? Yeah. I played him on the glass court. He'd travelled up from Somerset, so he'd have been 70. He travelled up from Somerset very early morning. I was already in London because I was commentating. Mm. He was coming up to do semis and final of the commentary with me. Had one contact lens. He's been he's worn contact lenses ever since he was a teenager. He had one contact lens in his eyes. He couldn't put the other one in. We went on the glass court, and I played a condition game with him where I had to hit everything behind the short line I had to use a wooden racket oh nice it's on it's on squash TV they filmed it it's on squash TV it was a best of three and he used obviously his normal racket and he he could play everywhere and he beat me yeah he it was it was, it was good fun but he beat me 2-1 and it was hilarious it was hilarious did you play nine point scoring or uh... we played American scoring to 11 yeah and uh it was just unbelievable trying to hit the ball with a racket on the glass court. I started to get to middle it, started to actually hit it quite well in the end. That was great fun, and that's that's something I've Memorable. watched. No, oh wow, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, and always the entertainer. I mean, the kind of I remember the shot that he he won the the match with was just an outrageous kind of Shabana-esque type shot, and uh, it's just right on cue. <laughs> Well, he's a showman, right? He understands that this is entertainment. This yeah, is, this, he does. It's well, not that, just that, that, athletes. Yeah, know? I mean, that's that was this, that's. I mean, he brought that to his clinics. You know, he started the clinics. I mean, he started everything. Like I said in squash, he was the first to do road shows and clinics, and they're mm. obviously unbelievably humorous, informative, right. and competitive. But yeah, he even when he played, it was tunnel vision on the court. But there were a couple of instances outside where. There was one British Open uh, and he was playing Jeff Hunt. He hadn't scored a point for 
close to an hour. And there was a, a it was at the Abbeydale Squash Club where everyone could the original court there you could you know be on was, top be on top or on the sides. Yeah. So people were looking over and he played a lovely straight log and it hit a lady in the head. So therefore was classed as out of court. And then, you know, he said to to Jeff uh, to the lady, excuse me, love, do you not realise I've got enough problems down here without you popping your, your head, head in or something like that? And it completely and utterly broke the moment. Yeah. yeah and Jeff Hunt. He, it, it just broke the spell, and then he won that three-two that match. Um, but yeah, so he always was able to have this kind of entertaining sense of humour, but refocus. Right. I definitely like to talk to Jeff Hunt a few, a bit more. I t I've, I've talked to him a lot over the years. Uh, got very drunk with him when I was 16. Actually, at the British Open, when I was 16, and God knows what. He, but we got we bonded. That was the first time I properly spent time with him. And uh, the stories. It's nice to hear some stories from other the other yeah. side. That's right. You know, the, the, they've got they keep in contact with each other, and they do see each other when Jeff's in England and that, and that. But they were obviously massive main rivals. Right. Yeah. Well, it's still such a small sport that that people have not have to maintain those relationships, but very few players drop out. You know, Jonchers sort of dropped out a fair amount. But yeah, like, he's disappeared a bit. But. but, but you know, I mean, John Gear's here. Yeah. Like people, you know, are floating around. Yeah, they are. It's important, though. Yeah. You know, you know, it's a community. Know, this, yeah, and, and, and again, the history of the game. Yeah, that's right. It's crucial. I mean, yeah. I, I, I will keep saying that until I, I yeah. don't talk about squash anymore. The, the youngsters should be aware of the what's, great, the greatness what's happened. that happened and yeah. how it happened. Right. I think if you ask the professional squash player, how they thought squash started. Uh, it would be interesting to have a poll of how many actually realised where it came from, how it started. Are you doing the next match? Yeah, is it? <laughs> you better finish. Is that done? Is that finished, that match? I'd like to thank everybody who helped make this episode of Outside the Glass. And special thanks to Grant Irving, who is a straight drop that dies in first bounce.